from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hi, this is Jennifer Reichert, producer of the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today we kick off our fifth season with a special episode featuring a pilot recording for the forthcoming podcast, Dramaturgical Voices, hosted by former Cry Havoc graduate apprentice Chris Petty. This episode was produced as part of Chris's MFA thesis for the Dramaturgy program at Stony Brook University and features an interview with Cry Havoc's artistic director and host of the Cry Havoc podcast, Kit Lavoie talking about new play dramaturgy, working with playwrights, and Cry Havoc's approach to developing new plays, screenplays, and musicals. Enjoy. This is Dramaturgical Voices, a series of interviews exploring the history and evolution of the role of dramaturgy in American theater. Hosted by Christopher Petty. In this episode, I interview Kit Lavoie, a playwright and director and artistic director of the Cry Havoc Company in New York. So thanks for agreeing to this interview today, Kit. Well, thank you for interviewing me. I'd like to start out by asking you, you work a lot with new play development, and I'd like to just ask you about your personal approach to development. Well, I work on new plays in several different ways. Uh, I work on new plays as the artistic director of a theater um, that is focused on new play development. Uh, I am a director who also uh, has a special focus on developing new plays, and I'm actually a playwright myself. And uh, uh, there have actually been some cases where I've, you know, been the developing artistic director and director on plays that I've written, which is a whole uh, separate sort of a thing. But um, my main uh, thought when developing uh, new plays really is the idea of helping the playwright um, to develop the play and write the play that they are trying to write. Um, to really encourage the playwright to articulate uh, their goals um, for the play, what's important to them, and then really to hold them accountable to those goals. Um, and you know, really try to help them see that vision through. Uh, I mean, there's an, a lot of ways that you can help people to do that, but uh, for me, that is the key most important thing, is to always be sure that you're there for the right reason, and the right reason is to help the playwright write their play that they want, which is not always the same thing as helping the playwright to write the play the way they want to write it, because sometimes the way they want to write it uh, doesn't always lead to the play that they want in the end. Can you tell me a bit about the work that you do? You talked about um, working as the artistic director of a theater that does new play development. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a bit of background on the way that a typical development works through your company? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, part of it is that there is no typical development. Um, but uh, within that, we do have a weekly workshop group that brings together uh, different members of our community, actors, writers, and directors together um, to do a combination of uh, acting work uh, that actors want to work on. There's part of the philosophy is the idea that uh, people really learn a lot by being part of the process of people who are um, 
who have other disciplines within theater. Uh, but about two-thirds of the work that we do on any given week um, <clears throat> is really focused on reading uh, drafts of plays. Um, and uh, I can talk a bit more about what we do in that workshop, but then we also have further on development points once we have done a lot of, I mean, what we think is sort of the base dramaturgy of the play in the workshop uh, in terms of really clarifying the structure and the way that the information is delivered and the characters and all of those sorts of things. Um, we also do have more advanced development programs to get the play up on its feet with actors uh, to see how it actually runs. Uh, one of the things actually that's a big part of uh, the philosophy of the company is actually about demystifying the process of how a play gets made. Uh, and so um, we do have um, public events where we invite the public to come see the things that we are developing, but I think one of the things that's unusual about what we do is that, well, certainly we do have traditional readings, uh, you know, where we're going to bring people in to hear a reading of a play that's, um, that's allegedly finished. Uh, or nearly finished, uh, we really do bring people in to see things in process. Um, you know, where we will bring people in to talk about the first act of an unfinished play, or um, or, or something that clearly we're not to the finish line with, or um, you know, bring people in to see uh, to see a set of scenes that we've worked up on their feet. Um, because we're trying to figure out a specific thing about the play to try to get feedback from the people who are ultimately going to be the audience for the play. The really most focused work that we do uh, in the company is that work in the workshop group. Um, and really what we have endeavored to create, and, and I'm not really sure of another uh, room of people that are quite like this because it was the thing that we endeavored to create um, was a group of people, actors, writers, and directors who are all um, very talented in their own fields of theater but who also really understand the nature of dramaturgy and the na nature of playmaking that I think very often um, as I'm sure you've seen and I've seen many, many uh, in many places that you end up with a situation where um, at a theater company, you'll have an artistic director, maybe a literary manager, maybe a resident dramaturg who talk about new plays and a bunch of people who like working on them. Um, and at playwriting groups where you have a group of actors who come and give a great reading of the play and then sit quietly while the four people who quote-unquote know about playwriting talk about it. Or a group of playwrights sitting around reading each other's plays and talking about them, but reading plays as, uh, you know, people who are not actors might read plays. Um, and we've really endeavored to create a room where it's a group of 20 to 25 people on any given week, uh, including actors who can really give a, a, a really strong and clear cold read of the play, but then where everyone, including the other playwrights in the room, including uh, our literary manager and, um, and the artistic director and uh, the playwrights, but also all the actors in the room, can really talk about the play in a sophisticated way. Um, and not just talk about it um, in terms of I liked it or I didn't, and not just talk about it in terms of, well, I was confused in this part, but to really be able to talk about I, I was confused in scene seven, but I think it's because you set up this expectation in scene five that doesn't pay off until scene eight. So I was following that dramatic question, and I actually missed the thing that you wanted me uh, to see in scene seven because I was so busy looking for the answer to the question you raised in scene five. Um, which, again, the idea of having a room full of people who are really able to talk about a, a play that way is... Um, 
is I think unusual, and again, really what we uh, have, have tried to foster. Um, and uh, within that, um, you know, the other important thing is whenever we start talking about anything in the workshop group, the very first thing uh, that we ask is what are you working on uh, to the playwright? Um, uh, and, and we mean that in two ways, which is one, going back to what I said earlier about the, the, the critical importance, I think, of really helping the playwright to write the play they're trying to write, rather than to instruct the playwright to write a play that you think would be more interesting. Um, that, that first of all, to allow them to lay down, this is the play, I'm, this is what the play is about, this is what I'm interested in, so that we can help them see where in the play that is clear, where in the play that is not clear, where it could be clearer, um, the things that are really helping clarify that, the things that are perhaps uh, standing in the way of that being clear. But also really importantly, because very often we really try to build up plays from the ground up. Uh, we generally, we have had a few exceptions, but generally, well one, certainly do not produce plays, new plays that we did not develop. Um, uh, and very rarely we'll take a play that is like a complete play but needs further development and take that on. We've done it on a few occasions, but generally if a playwright sends us a play and says, are you interested in either doing this play or developing this play, our answer, if we like the play, will much less often be yes and much more often be no, but we would love to work with you on your next play. So the result is, is that we end up again with this room of people who've been working on this play as the playwright's been bringing it in. Very often from a playwright will bring in five pages of something and say, and the first thing is, is this is kind of what I'm working with. Is this a thing? Uh, you know, is this something that I, I should pursue further? Um, and so the result is by the time you get to the 120 page full length, you know, 12th draft of the play, um, it's getting feedback from a group of people who really saw it from its very germ of its idea and really have a very intimate understanding of what the playwright uh, was trying to build and, and able to help them do that. Um, and additionally, again, beyond the uh, broad question of what is the play they're trying to write, to ask them what are you working on in this given draft? Because um, that is really something that we encourage. Uh, I mean, actually, I think it comes a lot out of the uh, acting training and the, you know, Stanislavski-based actor studio tradition that I think a lot of our people come from, uh, which really says when you are working on something as an actor, the exploration you want to do, you know, should be focused and shouldn't just be, I'm trying to make the play one rehearsal better today, but what am I trying to figure out in rehearsal today? And we really encourage that with playwrights writing their a new draft, too, is instead of just trying to make it one draft better, to say, okay, clearly what needs to be clarified at this point is the relationship between Bill and Susan, and I'm going to do a draft where I really work on honing that. And also the relationship between Bill and Harry needs to be clarified, too, but I'm not worried about that in this draft. So that idea of asking a playwright, what were you working on in this draft? So we're not spending time talking about the stuff that they didn't address this draft, but are able to talk to them about the things that they um, did address in this draft. Uh, how well did it solve um, sort of the problems, again, that they set out to solve? Uh, where might it not have? But also, really importantly, as they're looking forward to their next draft, what new complications did it arise? Now that you've raised this question between uh, Harry and Sarah or whomever, now in the scene between Harry and Bill, 
you know, it, it will be interesting when you do your next draft to realize that Harry now has this information he didn't have in the earlier draft. How is that going to change scene nine? Um, you know, and, and so I think a lot of it is, um, because I know also as a, as a playwright, it can, you get so close to a piece, you can lose a little bit of perspective. And I think that there is a real value in what a dramaturg or a director or any collaborator can really help do is help the playwright to get perspective and to see what they've done. And I think really importantly, not to judge it as good or bad, but to see it again as what they have done. And, and that's why, I mean, I, I'm just a, a pretty firm believer, and it goes along with all of this philosophy, is that the word should is not something that's very useful uh, when you're talking to a playwright. You should do this or you shouldn't do that. Um, you know, that I, I think that the idea of being able to talk about in if-then scenarios, you know, if it is important to you that X, Y, or Z is true, then you should probably set it up more clearly early in the play so that I understand when it comes along that it's supposed to be important. If it is not important to you, you might want to look at the way that it's introduced because it feels all of a sudden like it's important when it shows up, but I haven't been introduced to it. Either is a totally valid choice on the part of the playwright, but that idea of saying this is something and you have multiple routes to how to address it, all of them are are valid. However, I will say when all of a sudden the idea of the piano shows up in scene five and the way they talk about it makes it seem like this is something I should have heard about by now. I think you either should make sure we've heard about it by now or look at the way they talk about it so it doesn't quite feel like it should. What sounds incredibly beneficial about this process is first of all the focus makes it very non-prescriptive type mm -hmm. of feedback. And bringing together all those different points of view is something that I think, dramaturgically speaking, is can be of incredible benefit instead of simply following one particular artistic aim or one particular artistic direction when you're working on new play development as a dramaturg with a playwright. Mm -hmm. Bringing together, bringing other artists into that process yeah. seems like it would have a unique and beneficial type of feedback. Are there any particular results that you often see that you think are unique to that open type of process? Well, I think there are results in a number of, of different ways. I mean, one is uh, that I think that sort of approach and the way that we talk about it um, and again, really holding the playwright to account, to a group of people, to the playwright's own goals for the piece. Um, by the time things come out of that process, they tend to be tight as a drum. I mean, they really do. That the, um, that, because no matter what you do, um, you know, I, I think there is a certain amount of mathematics and science to the way um, that a play functions, and maybe that's something we can talk about. But I also do think no matter what, it's art and it's subjective to a degree. And no matter how objective somebody's trying to be, their own personal experience is going to color it. So it is helpful to sort of hear, you know, to be able to be in a room full of people who do know what they're talking about. And if you hear the same thing from four or five or six people, you can feel pretty confident that it's real. 
Um, if you hear it from only one person and no one else felt that way, it isn't quite the same thing because sometimes it depends who that one person is. <laughs> you know, every once in a while there, there's, there's one lone voice who says, this is not as clear as it could be. And, and that's somebody who either because of their background, because they know something. I mean, it's, you know, you're writing a play about a scientist and this is somebody who has a degree, you know, which is actually another interesting thing about our particular group that we have is we do happen to, to have people who have come to writing and acting and directing from different fields, from legal backgrounds, from science backgrounds and things like that. So you do have people, you know, who are writing a play about scientists and when the person who trained as a scientist in the room says, well, this doesn't ring quite true, I, I mean, that's extra helpful. Um, you know, and uh, at the same time, um, I think as much as anything else, I think there's something about that way of working and the atmosphere that we try to create through that way of working, which is one, a group of people who followed a project from the beginning with different points of view and who are speaking specifically to the thing that the playwright is interested in writing about, is it, I think, creates a very safe environment to get feedback on. Um, I do think it's a very safe room and a room where we have a good time, but also where there's very, very candid feedback given. And I think that there's something um, actually really to that goal-oriented nature of it because it's something that we find. I mean, uh, you know, God knows I've been to a lot of talkbacks after plays and uh, there, it's very often like pulling teeth. I mean, some people are terrific at, at, at running a talkback session, but a lot of times no one's quite sure what they're there for. It ends up with the people who want to stand up and talk about something either totally unrelated to the play or just tell the playwright why they think their play is lousy or why they think their play is fantastic, neither of which is particularly helpful. Um, but when we do, um, you know, public events, and uh, although, I, again, the way we think about it is less about bringing the play out to the public is inviting people into our process, by, that we do the same thing and we say this is a play the playwright is writing either it's a complete draft it's a partial draft and what we're going to do first is ask the player what are they interested in, in, in getting feedback on and there is something about them saying I'm, I, I really want to be sure that um, the relationship between the mother and son is very clear and I'm concerned that the ending might sneak up out of nowhere and I'm, and I'm interested to know if people can look back two-thirds of the way through the play, where did you think it was heading and did it make sense it ended up where it ended up? You know, whatever sort of specific challenge they're trying to lay out. It creates an environment where even people who are not especially practiced in new play development, who are theater goers, really are able to be pretty articulate about what their experience of a play was within the context of these simple questions. And I actually think that's part of it, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, is that idea that dramaturgy really is about simple questions. It's, it's about, you know, is this clear? Is that not clear? Is, um, does it help to know this piece of information earlier than you have that piece of information? How does it make it different if we see scene six knowing that she's his adoptive mother or if we don't know that until scene seven. I mean, they really are, 
you know, very simple questions. And the trick of being a good dramaturg is being able to formulate the right ones. You know, is really being able to look at what is happening in this play and what could be happening in this play. If you take these pieces that the playwright has laid out and put them in a different order, what does that look like? And not to say it should be or it shouldn't be, but to help the playwright to see these are other options. These are other ways. They're, it's not a trick question. Um, it's just these are, this is how it currently functions. This is a place where I think we can agree it's not functioning especially well. If you fix it this way, it'll have this result. This way, it'll have this result. This way, it'll have this result. Um, you know, that, and, and that's, that's what we're talking about there. Um, so again, I do think, going back to the original question you asked um, about uh, the results um, that it creates, is I do think it creates a very safe place to work. I think people leave really ready to tackle something because they leave with something palpable to do. It's not about I've read a play and I've heard a bunch of people like it, a bunch of people don't, and a lot of people are confused about who Mel is. You know, but really to walk out with and with a sense of a clear sense of this is what's reading, this is what's not, this is where it seems like the issues are. Because one of the things that we've learned over time for sure is that the place where you identify a problem in a script is almost never the place where the problem actually is. Um, you know, usually it's about, you know, it becomes clear at that point that you haven't set something up that you need to set up rather than there's actually something about that particular moment. That particular moment could sing if we had any context to understand it. Um, you know, and so a lot of times it really is about tracking back and being sure that you've set up a specific moment. Um, and the other thing is, is it's about, you know, there is something about the practice of doing talking about plays in that way on a regular basis that just helps the people, the other people in the room really understand how plays work. And it's something that I've been really, really pleased about is the number of actors and directors and designers and composers who have been part of that group because they're interested in helping playwrights develop plays and interested in talking about it, interested in learning how it's done, who finally at some point say, you know what, I've been here talking about new plays every week for the last year and a half, I'm going to try to write one now, and how sophisticated those first plays are. Um, you know, in terms of really unspooling information and things like that in a way um, that really makes for a compelling uh, storytelling experience. Um, in a way that, that very rarely, even though we're not quote-unquote teaching playwriting, there's something about the practice of understanding how a play's structure functions um, that can be really empowering to somebody when they're starting to write plays. And I know, again, for myself as a playwright, to have talked, I mean, at this point, I mean, we've worked on over, or I have, uh, between Cry Havoc and other places, on 400 new plays in one capacity or another. And so that idea of being able to sit down at a computer as a writer and really feel like I'm confident that I understand how choice A and choice B are two different choices, and they are both valid choices, but they both are going to have ripple effects through the rest of the play. Um, it can really help you have confidence as a writer to have had that experience about really talking about other playwrights' writing. Because again, the same way a writer can be too close to it and the perspective of other people in the room can help the writer 
to be a writer and be the person who's giving the, out the perspective uh, can also really help your own writing. It seems that having the writer have clear goals in what they are looking for in feedback is a large part of what enables the people involved with the development and involved with the feed feedback to be comfortable and be as useful in the process as they are. Mm -hmm. Are there other ways when you are dealing especially with bringing other artists into the process who may not have been a part of it before or dealing with audiences when you're looking for receiving feedback from them? Are there other ways that you can comfortably bring them into the process so that they feel enabled to give feedback, so that they feel that their point of view is valuable? To the process. Well, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I just think a big part of it is asking for it. Um, you know, because I frankly have been to a lot of readings of plays where the playwright clearly did a reading of their play because that's because they could get a reading of their play and couldn't get a production, and really, frankly, wasn't especially interested in what anybody thought of it. Um, you know, and I mean, that also is just a little bit of the business too. Is it's a lot easier to get a reading of a play than it is to get a. Um, a production of a play. Um, but I think, you know, a big part of um, what you want to do as a playwright, but also as a dramaturg or an artistic director or a literary manager who is facilitating a discussion of a play, um, is to be sure that you are asking questions that is going to give you the information that you need rather than asking for the information that you need, uh, if you understand the subtle difference there. Um, that uh, it's just something that you want to ask questions that will actually give you the data that you want. For instance, a lot of times I've heard playwrights say, in this one-act play we just read, was it clear that Bill loved Sarah and that she despised him. Well, an audience who's just heard the play will look back and go, oh, well, yeah, there was that moment where she pushed his hand away and the moment where he brought her there. Yeah, so I guess that's true. Now that you framed it that way, I do suppose that's true. And I would say a much more effective way to ask that question is, can you uh, describe for me how you experienced the relationship between Bill and Sarah? Okay, now if they come back at you with, I found that you know he was really ardently in love with her and she was pushing him away, you know you've got it because they came up with that on their own. If they come up with other things, um, well two things, which is one, you know you haven't quite achieved the thing that you want, but it also will be much more helpful to really trace back what, um, you know, what is going on in the play that's not just not taking them to that place, but what's taking them to someplace else. Um, and the other thing is to be able to ask follow-up questions and to try to keep as neutral a tone as possible. You know, I, you know that, that thing about you say, well, how do you experience uh, their relationship? It's like, oh, well, I just thought they were in love. And they, what, were they like ex-boyfriends and ex-boyfriend and girlfriend? Is, is, is that what was going on there? That you have the option to go, oh, no, but why did you think that? But if the answer can just be, that's interesting, can you tell me where you got that impression from? Okay, terrific. And we're just 
collecting information, and that idea of um, you know really letting the audience know we're here to help this playwright write this play. There's information that would be helpful to them. Um, and the thing is, it's also something that if you can help an audience and give them credit and ask them real questions about a play, people know what they've watched. I mean, one of the things that I you know, really feel fairly strongly about is the idea that, that at its heart a play is an information delivery system. You know, that there um, certainly you want to have good dialogue, you want to have great characters, but ultimately an audience's experience of a show is really going to be about, I've been watching this show about these two brothers and then I find out one of them is actually his father and the discovery that he's actually the other guy's father is how they describe the show. I mean, when they talk, when people talk about, I saw this great show, it had these great performances, you know, well, what was the show about? I said, well, it was this guy, these two brothers, turned out one of them was really his father. You know, that that's, that's how they experience the show. And it's something, when I, as a director, work with actors, uh, you know, one of the things that I really say, really talk about is that idea of that it's really okay to go wherever you have to go. Come up with whatever backstory you have to come up with to do what happens on the stage truthfully. Because the audience is going to experience it through the information that the playwright lays out. No matter what you do, you can decide I'm coming in here, you know, and I'm delivering these lines because I'm deeply in love with this other character. And there's a line in the, in the scene where I say, I was fired from my job and that's why I'm saying this. The audience is going to attribute all of whatever you had to do to do it truthfully to whatever it is that the playwright has said that it's about. Um, you know, and so I think that that's something that, um, you know, to realize that that actually is as a playwright or as someone who's working with a playwright in any sort of dramaturgical uh, capacity, that is such an important tool to realize that the order in which information is delivered um, is such a key part of, of what the writer gives the audience in their experience. And that can be a really helpful solution. That'll, again, that idea of the problem is never what you think the problem is, that if you're, again, realizing in scene seven this thing is happening that, I, that I'm, that I'm, that's not landing, and what you realize is, oh, well, you know, it's because this thing happens in scene six that I'm really interested in the answer to, and I'm looking for the answer to that. That's why I miss it. But you know what? We don't use that information until scene 10. Why don't we put that information from scene six into scene eight instead of scene six, leave scene seven exactly as it was, and all of a sudden scene seven works much better than it did before, and you haven't even touched scene seven. You've just made sure that the audience has the context to experience the play in the way that you want to do it. But again, that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, as a dramaturg, you can help a playwright see and understand the way that their information is playing out. But where this all started was that um, one of the things that I've been really delighted by in the however many, you know, uh, developmental readings we've done with members of the public is a lot of times people will want to start out with, I liked it, I didn't, uh, you know, but especially when you give them specific questions, so they really have to start talking about, you know, and especially when you get them talking to each other about it, you see they begin saying, you know, well, you know, I really thought she did X, Y, or Z, and someone will say, but wait a minute, but he had already told her that he'd been to the waterfall. She knew that when she was saying that to him, so, and that idea that when they start talking about it, that even though on the surface they don't register that, 
once the audiences start talking about it, they really do reveal their experience of the show had everything to do with the order in which the information was revealed and the context in which they experience a given moment of the play in the context of the information that they have and that they know the different characters have. Um, so that's something that I think, I, I mean, actually, I think that's a big part of what you can do to help people in addition to asking the right and open and non-judgmental questions and specific questions. Um, but it's to have faith that we are, as a species, natural storytellers and natural story hearers. And that there is a lot of what we do dramaturgically that really, I think, is about mirroring the way that humans experience story. You know, but that idea that everyone's an expert, everyone's an expert of how they experience a story. And to give your audience that credit and want to pick their brains. Again, not because they're going to tell you right or wrong how to fix your play, what's good or bad about the play, but as data, as data, this is how these people experience the play. As the playwright, are you okay with that? Is that what you want? Is that within the range of acceptable for the way you want people to experience the play? If not, hopefully you're asking follow-up questions to find out why they felt that about the play, what made them do it, and then you're going back to your next draft armed with data and information, uh, and hopefully can do something about it. When developing a new work, there are obviously a number of concerns. There are you know, your dramatic considerations, you know, dramaturgically speaking, mm -hmm. um, a large part. There are concerns about practical issues, not necessarily just commercial viability, but theatricality. Mm -hmm. There's also the idea of the playwright's vision versus uh, the ideal of what they're writing. Do you often find, or do you ever find, that there is a split, or almost like a dichotomy, between the play that it sounds like a playwright is trying to write, or the play that a playwright is saying that they are attempting to write, versus the type of feedback or the type of development that they are looking at? As in, maybe worded better, it would be, do you often, or do you ever find that you have to aid your playwright in aiming for that ideal rather than the practical? Or is that even a concern? Well, I think it depends. I mean, I think it it's, it's goes back to the what are you working on. I mean, I, I do think sometimes it's um, helpful um, to know whether your concern at a given moment is practical or whether your concern is an ideal. Um, you know, and, and I think that it's actually something I really advise playwrights to sort of, to know whether when they're starting out writing a play or at some point decide, um, you know, what, what they're doing it for. You know, because there's a lot more opportunities to do really stripped down one act plays that can be done in a black box than there are to do something that's going to cost half a million dollars to produce under the most stripped down um, conditions. Um, you know, and, and, to, and to do, to tag your plays as this is one I don't, I, this is just to get my voice out there. I don't care who does it. I'm not, you know, I, anybody who wants to do it can do it. And, I, and, and part of that then is about figuring into it 
um, you know, the practical concerns of this needs to be something that if I really just want there to be 20 productions of this play out there, it can be my entree to different, you know, companies to think about being sure that it can be staged simply, potentially to be thinking about is it on a topic that there's a lot of the theater companies that, you know, do that kind of a play. I mean, I think if you want to be a, a playwright professionally, I mean, I think there was a, a recent study by, um, uh, TDF about playwrights and I think it came out that literally there are like six people who make a living in as a playwright in the United States um, and everybody else you know either also writes for television or, 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 or teaches or temps you know <laughs> or something to make the rest of their living and you know and, and it's a marketplace I mean I, I don't think it's wrong to think about that I also think in the opposite direction um, to know the plays that you're like this is too good to just let anybody do you know this is going to be my calling card and I'm going to save it uh, until I can get the right ones I, I actually know for myself I have at least two plays that I part of what I set out for myself is I want to write a play that cannot be done any place less established than the main stage of a Lord 8 theater. Like, I, 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 I'm not interested, I'm writing a play that couldn't be done by someone other than somebody who has half a million dollars or whatever to invest in this play. It's helpful to have those also. Um, and I, I do think it's something that, it's a little bit you know it when you see it in terms of working with a playwright of what are they working on and are they working on something that's especially helpful? I mean, again, if what they want is, I really want to write, I need a full length that I can send to places that will do it on a reasonably low budget. I just need one of those in my repertoire. That's a totally reasonable thing to decide you want to do as a playwright. Um, and if that's something that they've laid out as a, you know, as a goal, well, that probably is something that should be minded to some degree at every step of the process. You know, if that's really what they're writing it for. You know, that said, I also definitely have had cases where you're working with a playwright and they're just trying to write a play and, you know, they get start getting really bogged down about how would you stage this, how would you stage this, and at some point you say, you know what, that's, that's the problem of the director. You know, and I think it's something actually as a director, you know, it's, that is something that can be helpful for me when I'm working with a playwright on a new play to say, okay, you want to know how to do it? Here are five different ways I could imagine doing it. So move on and, and, and write the rest of the play. Um, and I do think, you know, I, 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 I do think it's really important, um, really important, again, that idea of helping to write the play that the playwright is trying to write. But I think that for a playwright, it puts an onus on them when you're working with a group of people who want to do that to really be able to articulate what it is that they are trying to do. And I do think it is something, I certainly have been in situations where the, you know, uh, we've been in workshop, for instance, and someone says, I don't know, I'm just looking for whatever, whatever, I just, whatever people have to say about it. It's like, okay, what were you working? We're not going to talk about it until you can talk about what you are, look, what you were working, you know, you were sitting there when you were writing it. What, what, what were you thinking about? What were you trying to solve in this draft so we can talk about that? Um, but I also think it works, you know, as much as, you know, that's something that becomes a responsibility of a playwright working with people who want to work that way. I think the playwright can put themselves in a position to always be working with people who want to work that way if they get practiced in being articulate about what their goals are. 
Um, you know, uh, because if, if you're able to say, here, can you read this play? I've read this play, terrific, because this is what I really like feedback on. This is what I'm worried, this is the play I'm trying to write. I, I mean, it actually gets back to something that I, I just think is a really helpful thing in any collaboration, is the idea of coming up with a thesis statement of what you're doing. I mean, I know as a director, whenever I, first rehearsal, you talk about, you know, and these are what's going on, and this relationship ultimately is about X, Y, or Z idea. Because then later on, you get into rehearsal, and it's not so much about, oh, you're doing it wrong, or you're not doing it wrong, I want you to do it more the way I did. But remember how we talked about that ultimately this is about how helpless he's been made by the... I'm not seeing that enough in this scene, so let's work on it. And it, it is amazing how much more receptive people are to that idea that we're solving the problem we agreed early on that we were going to tackle, rather than can you do it differently. Um, and I think that you know certainly um, when I'm doing very you know advanced development on a play with a with a playwright, either as an artistic director or as a director, where there already exists a draft or much of a draft or something, I really do like to sit down. Um, you know, and, and, and frankly, uh, you know, as, especially as an artistic director where there is a possibility that we might produce this play, um, you know, to really sit down and say, let's have a conversation. What's important to you about this play? Okay, I totally hear that. That's great. And where it is now, if we're going to consider producing it, these are the things that need addressing. Good, you hear that. Good. So let's actually write up. These are the five things we want definitely to protect about the, and literally write it down. We definitely want to protect about the play because it's what the playwright is doing, and these are the five things that we agree need clarifying before it's ready to be put into production. It just gets so much easier to talk about rather than it's better, it's worse, it's better, it's worse. It's are we closer to this thing that we, in a quiet room, agreed we all wanted to see happen with this play? Um, but again, if a playwright is able to be articulate about the things that they want uh, for their play to be, they get to put out the thesis statement, where they're sitting down with people and say, okay, this is the play and this is what I want it to be. And someone can start saying, well, you know, it's great, but if it took place in, you know, in Iran, it would be so, it's like, that's, you know, I, that's actually a really interesting idea, but one of the things I said is that it really is important to me that it's about Detroit. I mean, that was one of the things I said is really important. But So, interesting idea, but really not, not what I'm interested in. And not because I'm just rejecting your idea at face value, but because we talked about already. This is what's important to me. Um, but I think what you'll find is, if you say, I really want to write a thing about Detroit and the way that it's you know, been affected, nobody's going to suggest you move it to Iran. Or if they are, they're going to have a really interesting reason for suggesting you move it to Iran, which maybe is a good idea if they're able to come up with a good reason to move it to Iran um, within the context of you've already said you're trying to write a play about Detroit. I suppose it's possible to do that. Speaking about the playwright's goals and then you know production-oriented goals too, go, the goals going into a production, um, as a director, how do you see the dramaturg fitting into the production? And what, what has your experience been in the past in working with dramaturgs? Of a new play or a, or a, uh, or a, a, product, or a production of an existing play? Let's start with a new play, with new play development. In, in a new play situation, uh, it's a little bit tricky for two reasons, which is one that I am both a director and a dramaturg, and I'm very aware when I'm working on a play which hat I'm wearing 
um, at any particular moment. But actually, I very rarely, I guess I've done it on a couple of occasions, worked on a new play with a dramaturg, because generally, by the time I'm directing a new play that I've been nurturing, I've been working as the dramaturg on the, on the, on the chief dramaturg on the production. So, um, to be candid, I, 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 um, I have less done that uh, than I have worked with dramaturgs on uh, pre-existing plays. But um, I do know uh, that, you know, it, dramaturgs, that I am aware when I'm in rehearsal, they're very often where I'm putting on my dramaturg hat. I know where the dramaturg needs to be um, in, in the production. And, you know, it really does have to do with really understanding the way that a play functions. And again, that information delivery system, that idea that um, there are ripple effects. And when you are working on a play, um, in production, and especially in a first production, things change. There generally are rewrites. There are often, uh, you know, actually cases, going back to the question you, we were talking about before, where you've written something that's what you want it to be, but then you actually get in production and the realities of production, you realize there's no way that person can make that costume change in that amount of time. We need to do something to either make the costume change unnecessary or give them time enough to do it. How are we going to solve that problem? And so, you know, there are, you know, rewrites that happen in rehearsal for technical reasons. There are rewrites that happen in rehearsal because seeing it on actors changes the way that you want things to go. There are rewrites that just because there's a different thing between sitting at a computer and typing and working with actors and you can see things in a different way and decide to do rewrites. And I think that's something that a dramaturg can be incredibly useful for is to really be looking at the ripple effects that changes are going to cause. Because they do. You know, I mean, in a well-constructed play, everything's related to each other. Um, you know, and so not to say, whoa, 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 no, you can't. Uh, but to say, realize if you make that change, by the time we get to scene four, it will not yet have been established that they knew each other in high school. This is where that happens. Okay, and then it's a question of, you know, and can be a discussion among playwright, among, you know, director, among uh, 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 dramaturg about how to deal with that. You know, the answer may be, you know what, that's too important information, even though we're going to leave that section in uh, because that is the function of that section. Or it can be, there can be a place where we can add it in later on. Or the decision can be made, you know what, that felt really important, but maybe we don't need to know they knew each other in high school. I mean, that's totally valid. But actually, I think the important thing for a dramaturg to do is not to make that value judgment. Not to decide, oh, we're losing a piece of information that, you know, they knew each other in high school. Eh, it doesn't matter. But see that you make losing that piece of information and make it known to the playwright. Let the playwright decide whether or not that's information that they think is important or not. And I think the other thing that a playwright can, you know, that a, a dramaturg can do in a production of a new play is just to be the dramaturg in the production of the play. Um, you know, because I mean, I think that there's, uh, a, a new play is going to be a play from the canon the next time it's done. Um, it still needs the same kind of research, the same kind of background information, the same kind of tools that a dramaturg can give a director and give an actor and give designers um, when they're working on Shakespeare or when they're working on Arthur Miller. 
they can do it when they're working on a play that's it's the first time it's being produced. Um, and actually, I mean, I, I know there certainly have been cases in uh, where I have been uh, the playwright of a piece that then if somebody else is directing it, things that come up in their research or things if I'm directing that have come up in my research that change what I want to do with the text. Because there's a different thing between, I think, you know, the work you do on a play you kind of can dive deeper into the world in a lot of ways, a lot of times, not always when it's actually time for production and when something exists on the page. Um, and, you know, there might be things that the dramaturg discovers that really impacts the way uh, about the time period, about, you know, the reality of whatever, you know, of, you know, this science, this theorem that the characters are, 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 uh, are trying to solve in, in, in over the course of the play. That might change what the playwright might, might make the playwright want to rewrite. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think kind of that idea of being a bringer of resources, which is really what a, a dramaturg is in very many ways, those same resources are needed, uh, whether it's a new play or an existing play. It sounds like the main benefits emerging from a dramaturg then, um, bringer of resources, somebody who is creating conversations, ensuring that the appropriate conversations are happening. Um, like you said, for example, between a playwright and a director when it's needed. Yeah. And that those voices are being understood. Um, the points of view are being understood, the voices are being heard. And of course the intimacy with the play. I have this idea that I've been thinking about that the dramaturg is almost like, I've been calling it almost the control group inside of a play in that when you are developing a new work you have artists who are all driven by artistic concerns you have a playwright whose concern is developing their work you have a director who thinks as a director uh, actors who think as actors designers who think as designers mm -hmm. um, and the dramaturg is in a unique position that their concern isn't necessarily getting this play on the stage, although that's a concern of anybody working on a production, mm -hmm. but they are more concerned with just the world of the play itself. It seems as they exist inside the world of the play mm -hmm. and are almost, like I said, a control group for the other people working on this play to be able to refer to when changes are made, when choices are made, when decisions are made, to understand how they reflect on the world of the play and the repercussions that they have in terms of the play itself. Mm -hmm. Would you find that to be accurate? I, I do, and actually I, I think that your use of the term control group is, is interesting. Because I do think, and I actually alluded to it before, but I don't go a little bit more into it now, that I think there's a certain amount of math and science that exists in understanding how a play functions. And I think there are very many ways in which a dramaturg is the keeper of that math and science. Um, and to that degree, which is why, you know, I, mean, I talk about the workshop group that we've developed, that there are 
actors who are capable of serving dramaturgical functions if they really understand that math and science. But I mean, I think a, a play in very many ways, um, A, it has a geometry. I mean, there really is sort of the, the shape of the play that you've built and you have this, um, you know, these three distinct storylines that are going on. But there's a big difference between these three main elements of a play if they exist as a triangle where they sort of touch at their tips on either end but then really don't interact or if what the three of them really are is two lines that cross and the point at which they bisect. And I think that that idea of thinking about a play that way and that idea of you have these three storylines and they don't really touch but they really need to and they need to intersect. They can't be parallel lines if you're going to have conflict. And I think there is something about thinking about, you know, literally, physically, what is the shape of this play? I mean, I actually very often find myself sort of sketching out the play. And, uh, and there's, there's uh, you know, not so much that there's a right answer or a wrong answer or a particular science to that, but it just sort of is like, here's the story between Bill and Susan, and then here's the story between Ted and Mary, and wow, they never really touch each other. Or they do, but where do they touch each other? And it's interesting that they touch each other at the same place the story between Fred and Ethel touch each other. That's a very telling sort of a thing, and there's something I find useful about that. Um, but there's also a certain algebra to it, in terms of, you know, that, that when you talk about sort of the setup and the payoff of a play, you know, you need to have things interact on either side of the equal sign. You know, if, 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 play ends where, and it turns out that he's been so upset about the fact that his mother died, and that's what we realize. Well, that's on the right side of the equal sign. You need to be sure that his relationship with his mother is on the left side of the equal sign, too. You know, that that that, that happens, uh, that, that, and, and that it happens in relatively equal measure in some ways. And it also works the other way, that if all of a sudden it's like, and he's worried about his relationship with his mother and the fact that his mother died, the fact that his mother died, and then we get to the resolution of the play, and that has nothing to do with the way that the play resolves. You know, you need to make sure that either take it away from one side of the equal sign or add it to the other one. But there really kind of is no room in a tightly constructed story for concepts that don't follow themselves through in one way or another. Um, and there's actually something that I do, just in terms of the science part of it, um, this thing that I've developed that I think is really an interesting tool, which is, I call it figuring out the DNA of the play. Um, and what I do is just kind of, it, it differs from play to play in terms of the exact setup of it. But generally what I'll do is I'll break it down into the scenes of the play. If it's something that either is one long scene or as, you know, sometimes break it into sections of the scenes of the play that are the fundamental building blocks of the play. You know, and then basically make a big grid. And one of the things, you know, then the next thing you do is kind of write in what is the action in that scene, you know, what happens, what is the location. Generally, I'll put the characters of the play across the top and just sort of check off where do they appear. But then after that, you know, sort of figure out what is important about this play. And so we'll say it's about you know, the relationship between one, then I'll build a, ca a category that's about relationship. And like, so this scene is really about the relationship between Bill and Sarah, this one between Bill and Fred, this one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then go to the next column and maybe it will be 
Um, I mean, maybe if it actually is a play between two people, the question is, are they getting closer or further from each other in this scene? Closer, further, neutral, whatever. Maybe if there are themes that especially are important. Um, you know, what theme is this hitting? What theme is that hitting? What the Location. Really, any variable that you think is important and helpful to the play. And just fill it out. Just fill it out factually. I mean, frankly, it can take hours to do, although it saves weeks of work. Um, and what I do then is once you fill that out, then go through with, you know, don't do this first. You've just filled it out. Fact, this is about this relationship. This is about that relationship. This takes place in this place. But then assign a color in each category. And what you can do is if you do it on an Excel spreadsheet, and so you then make everything that takes place in the garage gray, everything that's in the kitchen yellow, everything, and then everything, you know, where, you know, a character's in the scene is green. If they're not in it, it's red for the scene. And what happens is literally if you hold it out and blur your eyes, you see the entire way that the play functions. And it is extraordinary the ways, the, the things that you realize where it's like every time this, they deal with this theme, they're in the kitchen. That is so useful and something I would never have put together if I didn't do this exercise. But also what you can really find is if you go like, you know, okay, so it's talking about, you know, scene one is Fred and Mary, scene two is Fred and Mary, scene three is Fred and Mary, scene four is Fred and Ethel, scene five is Fred and Mary, and then it's not Fred and Mary for another 11 scenes, and then the resolution is Fred and Mary. I mean, just seeing that in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see by reading, by take, by note, but just visually going like, okay, it was red, 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 green, red, yellow, 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 red. There's something out of whack there. The geometry of this doesn't fit. And I think that that idea, it's, it's that um, it allows you to see the natural shape of the scene, of, of the play. Uh, and again, I think it's just really a really useful thing. And again, the color coding and, and literally you see the shape of it. But to, to just fill in the facts first and then color code it. But all of that is to say, like, that's something that when I know I'm working on a new play, um, and frankly, you can do that with an existing play too, so you understand how it functions. But to walk into rehearsal with that knowledge of knowing this is the shape of this play, this is how it functions, this is something, if anyone has any question, I can show them. I can, I'm not making this up. Look, it's right here, the way that these two columns are exact mirrors of each other. They're related, they have to be related. There's no reason that, you know, the fact that, you know, that the theme of, you know, fear of losing his job comes up only when Bill is in the room. Look at that, it's right there. Um, really can help you communicate to a director or actors or a playwright. I find it most useful with playwrights. But that idea goes back to what you were saying about being the control group, that that, that idea, I think in a lot of ways, the dramaturg is the keeper of the science, the keeper of the math, the person whose job it is to understand that when you make a change on this side of the equation, you need to change something on the other side. Because I think a lot of times everybody else, exactly as you said, is has dove in so deep. Um, it's kind of the dramaturg's the lifeguard a little bit, um, you know, to keep people from drowning themselves under their own good ideas. Um, you know, and... and uh, yeah, I think that's something that, that is a really useful service that a dramaturg has, is to be the person who really knows the terrain. They're the park ranger.
I like that park ranger. In working with new play development, are there any new or emerging methods, um, challenges, demands that you are seeing in work that's being done or work that's being brought into development or simply ways in which things are becoming, uh, are taking shape? Well, a pattern that I have seen emerge that I don't really know quite what to make of over the past 10 or 15 years is the move uh, of colleges and university theater departments towards devised theater. Um, when I was training, it was something that people were aware of, some people did. Now I feel like when we're, you know, interviewing interns and stuff around here, everybody talks about what we mostly do in our theater department is devising. And it's not something that's a really, it is certainly there. Uh, you know, as part of the theater landscape. But I mean, I think in like, especially the New York professional theater world, it is not something that is a significant part of, of the way that new plays get made. Certainly, it's there. But it does make me wonder, another 10 years, once these people who trained that way um, in their undergrad get out into the world, whether they're going to adapt to the world as it exists or whether devised theater is going to be something that is um, more and, and more prevalent. And certainly devised theater is something that, um, you know, has use of a dramaturg, um, you know, to have somebody to help guide it and, and, and shape it and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, but I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of the challenges, candidly, are economic ones. Um, you know, is that... Uh, I mean, on the dramaturgical front, um, you know, that people can't afford to have a dramaturg on staff the way they used to be able to. Um, you know, that for, for dramaturgs that you really need to, you know, figure out ways to make yourself useful because um, there's going to be fewer people coming to seek you. It's, it's, it's always been part of, you know, uh, part of the business for everyone is it's a freelance business for 98% of people except for the very few people who work at the very few resident theaters that still exist around the country it's a freelance business but I feel like it's gotten a little freelancier for the uh, for, for, for dramaturgs of late and um, and I also think you know it's been changing over the past you know however many years but it, it's gotten really expensive to do theater um, Theater also doesn't draw the audience that it once did when it was, you know, now that it's competing with not just film and television, but the internet and everything like that. So um, there's a lot more, quote unquote, developmental work going on for plays uh, than I think there used to be. Um, I mean, that actually is the main thing about the, you know, new play development is that there, there's a lot of it out there. And the real challenge is actually, um, you know, A, doing it well, because frankly, there's a lot more of it out there than necessarily there are people who know how to be especially helpful doing it. Um, and 
you know, I think that there's a lot of ways in which it's helpful for a playwright to embrace the idea when they're in development to actually use it for development. Because a lot of times it's, I submitted this play to this theater and they said, well, we don't have room for it in our season, but we'll do a workshop of it. And then it's just about trying really hard to basically do a production on a workshop budget. And you might as well do a workshop on it. You might as well work on it and make it better and, and, and engage the artistic director of the theater who is doing it, not just trying to show him this is the thing, not just trying to show the artistic director that the play works on its own, but engaging the artistic director and the literary manager and helping to make it better because then they will feel some ownership over it themselves and will be much more likely to put it in their next season if they feel like they have actually contributed to making it better. But I, I, I just see so many playwrights really kind of fight that and be like, well, they're not going to give me $50,000 for a production, but they'll give me you know, fifteen hundred dollars. So I'm going to try to do as close as I can to that fifty thousand dollars production for it. Um, you know, but to really use it for um, for development. Um, you know, and I and I think that you know a lot of what's going on. Yeah, too is is to realize that that's become the new reality of the business. In the new reality of the industry. I actually, for a documentary I'm working on, uh, interviewed uh, uh, Hal Prince uh, a, a few months ago, and that was something that he was talking about, is that for him and Stephen Sondheim, they had shows on Broadway when they were in their mid-20s. By the time they were in their mid-30s, you know, they were on their seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth shows on Broadway, because that's how it worked. There were many, many, many more shows that opened, and you know, some shows open for a minute and close, but it wasn't nearly the financial investment that it is now. You know, and, and what he was saying was now it's, you know, 47 is the mean age of a playwright having their first play on Broadway now. And he's like, by the time you're there, I mean, you, you don't have time to fall down. You know, and, and the marketplace doesn't doesn't allow for it. You know, and so that you know that idea of these developmental readings and making and developmental workshops, that that's where you build your reputation. That's where you build your skills, um, and to really embrace them as the opportunity to do those two things, rather than embracing the opportunities of doing a workshop or doing a reading as kind of a mini show, because um, that's not what they're good at. So you're best off using them for what they're good at. How do you feel that your personal approach towards new play development has evolved since you've been doing this? I think it's evolved in a huge way. Um, and I mean, it's one of those things you learn by doing. Um, my training is as a director. Uh, certainly there's some real base storytelling training to that. And, uh, you know, certainly I took you know, some fantastic, you know, kind of when I was in college, independent studies with a, a professor named Mayor Ribolo, who, uh, who is both a, a, um, a playwright but also a, a really excellent dramaturg uh, for new play development. But so much of the approach that I've developed um, and that we as a company have developed really has come from, you know, our workshop has been meeting every week for 10 years and that idea of just doing it week after week after week after week and seeing um, what helps and what doesn't um, and finding the ways to articulate it 
that are understandable and that make sense to us. And I mean, I think there are a lot of ways um, in which sort of like the idea of the, you know, information delivery system and the equation and the, that those are things that I, I have, by working with playwrights and working myself as a writer, um, you know, have really evolved for myself and really that belief that, um, I mean, one of the things that I really am a, a strong believer in is the idea of the first and foremost thing you need to do is get yourself a clear and compelling story in a play that is clear and compelling even if it's not well done. And so there's a lot of, I think a lot of times, we'll, well not a lot of times, but there are times where we have a playwright come in, including some very established playwrights who uh, come in to work in the workshop and the first thing they want to do is say, okay, and this should be read really fast and It's like, no, we're just going to let these people read it and work their way through the story. And, uh, you know, sometimes the answer is, but, but, but then they won't feel what it is, but then they find out, well, no, this is because what we do and what we talk about is the way the story is told. We'll get in there with get get actors in there and a director in there, and then we'll work on the tempo and the timing. But that idea, and this is something that I've really learned, because I also, man, I remember when I was fresh out of college. Actually, Mayor Ribolo um, did something really good for me because he was one of my professors in, in in college. But right when I got out of school, uh, he was asked to uh, moderate this playwriting group at the Players Club. Um, that was like four members only with some really heavy hitters in it. And he actually said, I'd be glad to moderate it, but only if you let this kid, you know, who uh, was a student of mine in school, be part of the group too. And, you know, and, and so there was something about, um, you know, being, you know, I mean, that, that, that that's kind of where I first had a place where I was sitting around with other people really talking about plays, which was terrific. But I remember the first time I brought in one of my plays, and it killed me. It absolutely killed my soul because um, it was this play that had been done before and ran about 24 minutes. Um, and it took an hour and five minutes to read. And I wanted to die. I was like, this is not the play. It's so slow. And that idea that, but I think from a story, tempo is not a storytelling function um, in a play, I don't think. It has a storytelling function in a production, which I think is a different thing. Um, you know, but that idea of really realizing that it's about finding the underlying story is something I've just found a lot of confidence in over time. The other thing that's, as an aside, about, um, the tempo element of it is I also am a believer in the fact that if you write it and good actors don't find the tempo in it, it's not there. You know, that I think good, you can write tempo into a, into a scene. If you have to tell people it should go faster here, then it's probably because you've written lines that are really hard to say fast and are not the way people talk when they're talking fast. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's something, I mean, Shakespeare was so good at. You know, that you, you can tell. You know, you can tell when you're supposed to be going fast because it just reads fast. That's what he wrote. I mean, we're not all Shakespeare, but, you know, you can, you can aspire a little bit. The other two things that I think I've, has really evolved for me, um, one is an approach uh, and one is an ability. Uh, and I think that the approach thing really has to do with just the primacy of dramatic question. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised we've talked this long and haven't talked about dramatic question. But I mean, I think that 
that really is the key to the way audiences experience story. Um, you know, is that idea of we have something that we are set up to wonder and then we are either given the answer or have the answer withheld from us. But that that's how we experience the story. That's what makes us lean into the action when it's not just that we are interested in observing, but that we are invested in how it turns out. We think we see where it's going. We know what we're afraid will happen. We want to know whether or not something specific will happen. And in a well-told story, there's the baton handing from one dramatic question to another, to another, to another. In a sophisticated story, there are two or three dramatic questions that we're wondering about that then we see how they come together and realize the reason we've been following those three questions um, are because they all have the same answer. Um, you know, or something like that. And, and I think that uh, that is something that is such a simple way to understand story. Um, what am I supposed to be wondering here? Is the stuff you're telling me here making me more or less interested in it? Is the place where it goes, does it answer the question that you asked me? And I mean, it's also really important to realize that if the answer is no, it doesn't answer the, the question that you asked. I mean, if you come to the end of the play and you say, but what happened to Bob? I never found out what happened to Bob. Like, that's really, I mean, if you think about it, when you leave a movie, that's what you'll leave a lot of times. Like, well, wait a minute, what happened to that guy? Or, oh, good, it turned out that. It turned out that. Not just that it arrived at a place, but we were following a story and it turned out that. Um, but that idea of if you do, if you are not answering your dramatic question, that idea of, you know, what you as a dramaturg can really help a playwright do and what a playwright wants to do is to control their dramatic question, um, which is different than answering their dramatic question. Because if you end a play with, what happened to Bob? Um, there are, I think, three obvious things that you can do in answer to that question, which is, one, you can tell us what happened to Bob, so you answer your dramatic question. Two, you can say, I don't want people to wonder what happened to Bob. It's like, okay, well then let's look at why people are wondering what happened to Bob and get rid of that thing that's making them ask that question. If Bob's not important, that's great, but you as the playwright have done something in this play that's making it important to the audience, so let's take that out, and then they won't worry about that thing anymore. But, and the other thing is, and this is more sophisticated, but sometimes can be done well, where you actively refuse to answer the dramatic question. I mean, I think the end of Inception is a really great example. I had mixed thoughts about that movie as a whole, but I love the end of it. Is that it ends with a very clear dramatic question that it refuses to answer. But there's a difference between not getting around to answering a question and refusing to answer a question. I mean, I actually really like especially short plays that end with, you know, you're wondering, how are these people going to resolve this? And the answer is, this is totally unresolvable. They are just going to be unhappy. <laughs> We've been looking for the answer to that question. And the other thing that I think has really evolved um, about my approach is one, frankly, of, of ability, but I don't think it's because, but I think it's worth saying because it, it evolved. It's something people can develop. Thinking about new plays is a muscle that you can develop. And it is something that it's very helpful. Um, you know, when, you're a, when you say to a playwright, which frankly, I think I knew very early on working with playwrights that it was not helpful to say I liked it or I didn't like it. That's not especially helpful. And I moved on to, which I thought was a step better, and I think was a step better, I was confused by this, or I was confused by that. I mean, certainly that's better than I didn't like it. 
um, but still is not especially helpful. Um, you know, and I think that idea of then moving another step forward into dealing with the causal relationships between things, that it's, that it's, this is why I was confused by it. This is where it confused me. This is where it didn't. This was something that I thought I was following the story and then it disappeared. I was following the story so closely I missed that this other story had started. You know, all of that um, sort of a thing. But, but the ability, once you've worked on a lot of plays, and I've seen a lot of people, especially people who've been at our workshop and been there every week for two or three or four years, who are able not just to say, you know, this doesn't work or this should be different, or this is another option. But to really be able to step back and say, this is really interesting, this is where the thing is. You could go any number of different ways. You could go way A, which would have this result, way B, which has this result, way C, that has this result, way D, that has that result. And I think there's something really freeing to a playwright to hear, not somebody's here telling me I need to do A, but somebody's pointing out, I have a lot of options they seem to be saying the option I've arrived on is not really working. Uh, but if they've gone through A, B, C, and D, I bet there's an E, F, G, and H, too. Um, but I think that ability um, that you can develop over time, that muscle you can develop over time to see the possibility in story and to help the playwright see the possibility in their story uh, in ways that they might be too close to, to really see for themselves. But then ultimately you need to let the playwright be the arbiter of what ends up in the story and what doesn't. Something that I think can be really helpful when working with the playwright on their play, because I, I think that it is a challenging thing to be a playwright and to sit alone in a room with your imagination and your computer and come up with a world. Um, and then you bring it to people and have them tell you whether they like your world or not, which is, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I think something that's great, why I'm a real firm believer in developing plays and nurturing them from the beginning is so it's not you have spent six months alone with it and then throw it out to the world and hear what works and doesn't, but to be able to sort of hear as you're working, what's working, what's not working. I know it's not finished, I'm working on it. And I, 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 you know, I, I just think that's helpful and I think as a, uh, a dramaturg or a director or an artistic director or a literary manager or an actor who works on new plays, um, you know, to realize the important function uh, that you can play in terms of, you know, helping to be the midwife to a play as it's being birthed into the world, as the playwright is doing the pushing. But, you know, you can, uh, you can help make the process a lot smoother, um, you know, if you're if you help them, but something that I just think is a very helpful thing to try to do when you're working with a playwright, and this sounds kind of obvious, but my experience has been it isn't, which is to try as much as possible to talk about the play and not the playwright. To talk about the play as an artifact. You know, not to say what you've done here and what, you know, I mean, frankly, I do find it useful to say you've been very successful at X, Y, or Z. I mean, sometimes, it, you know, especially when you're trying to gain the trust of the playwright um, to get into their world, 
you know, because, to, because they're welcoming you into the world that they've created. Uh, it can be very helpful to say something that you've done that's really sophisticated is this. I mean, especially if you mean it, not to, you know, blow smoke, but it's, it's, it can make people feel like you're on their side, especially if you are on their side, which hopefully you are as, as a dramaturg or an artistic director working on a new play. But to talk about the play as an artifact, to say it's interesting that in this scene Doyle tells Karen this, and that we know it in the next scene, because it really changes the way I view his conversation with, with, uh, uh, with Cleveland in the next scene. We're talking about Doyle and Karen and Cleveland in the play. We're not talking about what you did at home with your computer. Um, you know, and I think that there is something about, ta again, talking about the play as an artifact. It's something that we are talking together about, and we're talking about what we find interesting about it, um, and ways in which it might be more interesting instead of the thing we need to do to it. Um, and, you know, and I, I think that it's something that I have found, I think, for myself as a playwright who's developed 30 plays that I've written through uh, the, the kind of system that we have at Cry Havoc, where you're getting feedback along the way, is what I've actually found is really helpful myself. Because I do have, um, you know, because I moderate the discussions about the new plays, what I generally tend to do is kind of hang back for the first 15 minutes or so of the conversation and let people talk about the play. So that part of my thoughts about the play is kind of trying to reconcile some of the things that we've heard about the play, you know, and okay, this is the response that it's getting and let's kind of figure out what one might do about that. But the result is, you know, that it's sort of like, okay, given a play that's getting this kind of feedback, what kind of advice do I want to give the playwright, you know, as the artistic director and moderator about the way that they might want to address these things that they've been hearing. But what I discovered over time, because again, I, I, I mentioned that I had a, at a, this early playwriting group that I was a part of reading a play and just it being kind of nightmarish because I felt like it wasn't going the way and feeling very nervous. And now I just don't. I mean, it's, it, you know, been to that rodeo. You, you're there to get feedback on the play. But what I find that I really try to do is just the same way that if you had written a play and we were reading it in the workshop group and I'm sitting back and listening to what people say about it and think about the advice I'd want to give the playwright about it, I try to forget when we're talking about a play that I wrote, that it's a play that I wrote. I just try to listen to the conversation and think, what would I recommend to the playwright they do to address these concerns? And then the bonus, it's me. I can actually do it. And so, you know, the, the, I try as much as possible once I had the realization that that was a really useful way for me to hear feedback, to try to create that environment, again, with that idea of treating a play as an artifact, that the playwright can do it. You know, that we're talking about these people, we're talking about these things that happen to these people, we're talking about this information that we're learning about these things that happen to these people, rather than we're talking about this thing you did. Um, it's a subtle thing, but I find it's a really important thing. And it's something that, I mean, I, I think a great danger that playwrights run into, and as a playwright I say this, is getting really precious about your stuff. And I think there is something to the fact that, um, you've chosen to write plays and write not novels, that there is a degree to which a playwright, a huge degree, a playwright has decided they are going to work in a collaborative art and where other people are going to be part of their work. Um, but I think as much as you can make that a positive choice for them rather than enforce that choice on them, 
you're going to be a much more welcomed collaborator than if you are the cowboy riding in to fix their play. Um, you're going to be much more likely to help them fix their play if you don't act like you're showing up to fix it for them. But you're there to help them understand it and help them understand the way it works. And to the extent they're open to it, provide them with suggestions of ways that uh, they might make it work more like the way they want it to work than it currently does. That's all. All right. Well, thank you for sitting for this interview today. Thank you for, for, for interviewing me. This is really enjoyable. Dramaturgical Voices would like to thank the Cry Havoc Company, Dr. John Lutterby, Carl Hinsey, and Nancy Moose. For more information, go to cmpetty.com. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. We will be back in two weeks with another new episode featuring our regular panel discussing the art and craft of acting, writing, and directing, and the realities of being a working artist in New York City. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.